It's that first address we give the title to, The Great Day of Freedom. I have been crucified with Christ. And it refers to us being set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin that reigned over us, being broken like people set free from a concentration camp. The great day of freedom had arrived. And then this morning we thought about the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And we might entitle that the great exchange. The great exchange, the greatest exchange, the Son of God gave himself for me, for you. You know, somebody once said that, that God would give the world for his Son. Wouldn't be a surprising thing. But that God would give his Son for the world. Who can understand it? This great exchange. And then this evening, as we come to look at the other phrases in the verse, we've considered... I have been crucified with Christ and we have considered the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We come to the phrases in the middle. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. And we could entitle this the great calling. The great calling. This is what we are called to do in light of what Christ has done for us. In a sense, the phrases that we've looked at, I have been crucified with Christ, and the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, have reference to the past. And yes, they've referenced to past events that have present realities. I have been crucified with, I've been set free, and that freedom remains. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Those truths are still in place. It's not that he loved us in the past and the day came when that stopped. No, it's, it's present, it's ongoing. He started and he has not stopped. But these phrases are in the present. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith. And these flow out of the great statements of the past. They flow out of us being joined to Jesus and Jesus being joined to us. And I tried hard to get headings tonight that would explain what Paul's saying. And then I realized that his headings explain perfectly well what he's saying. And so our first heading is I no longer live. Just the way he says it. I no longer live. And our second heading is Christ lives in me. And our third heading is I live by faith. You see, there's an oldness that is gone. And there's a newness that has come. A wonderful newness. It's not fully developed, but it's it's not yet fully um, perfected, this newness. But it's fully here, in a sense. And it develops and it grows by faith. There's a sense in which you've died. But there's a sense in which you are now more alive than you ever were. 
more who you were meant to be. This is the wonder of being a Christian. You know, I saw a, a slogan in a, in a school building the other day. It said, be yourself. And in some ways, that's pretty poor advice um, because ourselves are all fouled up and flawed and uh, we can be quite selfish and to be ourselves can be not pretty. But actually, what God is doing in us is to enable us to be more our true selves than we could ever have imagined. That's what he's doing. And so, our first point, I no longer live. I no longer live. Think of one of Saul of Tarsus's old buddies, one of his pharisaical friends, uh, coming to him and saying, Saul, Saul, see that street there? See that little door way down on the left, the third door down? I have good news or good intelligence that there are Christians meeting in there this evening. Let's go. Let's get them. Let's arrest them. Uh, let's give them a, a beating. And Saul looks at him and says, Sorry, you're the wrong person. He goes, no, no, it's you, Saul. Come on, I know you. I've known you for years. Saul goes, no, you're the wrong person. That old Saul no longer lives. I've been crucified with Christ. The old Saul you're looking for isn't here anymore. And we thought on Wednesday evening how that phrase, I have been crucified with Christ, refers to the great day of freedom and the freedom that Christ brought to us. But in another sense, it refers to how we now live in the light of that. If the great day of freedom has arrived, then the old me that lived under the penalty and the old me that lived under the power of sin, that old me is gone. Because there's a new me, a new me that lives forgiven and a new me that lives set free from the powerful grip that sin had on me. That's true for the Christian. I no longer live. And you might say, ah, but hold on a minute, Mark. Um, that's an awful lot easier for Saul or Paul in some ways. His particular sin that he was so guilty of, was persecuting Christians. Now, it's much harder to do that when you yourself are a Christian. That's something that's, in a sense, easy to give up. It's not as ingrained into our nature. But you and I still sin, and, and we struggle with guilt, and there are sins that we can't seem to shake. And why is that? Well, part of it, is that Satan is an incredible bluffer. Before, uh, before we were Christians, he stayed in the background, as it were, and he let us think we were in control of our lives, and we could do whatever we wanted, and we were perfectly free. And now that we come to Christ, Satan says, oh, you can't escape sin. You're, just, you're going to have to give in to that, and you can't do any better than that. You're just flawed, and you're never going to beat this. What a bluffer. The truth is exactly the opposite. When we were, uh, when we were, or sorry, when we weren't Christians, 
when we hadn't come to Christ, sin had us in its grip. We couldn't break it. And now that we have come to Christ, sin's grip is loosened on us. But he doesn't want us to believe that. And so he lies to us. And not only that, but we don't let the truth impact us the way it should. And we need to let the truth impact us, that sin shall not be our master, that the guilt of sin has been dealt with and the power of sin has been broken. But there's another reason that Paul sets out in this verse why it's hard. He says, The life I live in the body. The life I live in the body. Although heaven has a different perspective on us, we still live at the same address. The body. The body, with all its ingrained habits of action and speech and thought and doubt and worry and pride. The body with all its appetites and aches. The body with all its aging and changing and trials. That's our address. And although Satan no longer has a front door key where he can come in and sit down, as it were, and make himself at home and uh, issue instructions, he knows where we live. And he still thinks that he can dander in and make himself at home and issue instructions and accusations as if he has the right. And we are so used to, to following our own desires and giving in to them and listening to his accusations and his lies that we fall for it every time. Well, not every time, many times. So what's the solution to our struggles with sin and temptation? We remember the great day of freedom has come, but we, we still live at the same address, the body. At least the people that were released from Auschwitz or Dachau changed address and they, they lived somewhere else. And their freedom was, in a sense, evident by where they lived. But what about us? Well, part of it is to say with Paul, I no longer live. I no longer live. I, I is the heart of sin. I, me, my. My desires, my reputation, my comfort, my feelings, my appetites. We have this me monster that lives inside us and wants everything to be about me and what I crave and what I want and people should do what I want them to do to make my life easy. Me, 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 my, my, my. And Satan tries to fuel that monster. Um, and what do we need to say? We need to say, I no longer live. I no longer live. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 6, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. No. He says, say no. You said, I no longer live. No to self. No to sin. The eye that used to drive us is to be denied. 
Paul, we read in Galatians 5, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, I've just said we're to say no to self. Well, Paul goes a whole way further. Do you hear what he says? Crucify. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a violent act. That's saying no in a big way. That's fighting against yourself. It's putting the old eye to death. It's stamping on it. It's trampling over it. It's saying no. I want to lose my temper. No. No. That old me no longer lives. Your will be done, not mine. I want to rage against what has just happened in my day. I want things to have gone my way. And I'm angry that they haven't gone my way. No, God, I want to say. And I have to say, no. No, that old me no longer lives. Your will be done. You know what? It's really easy to write that. But ten minutes after I wrote that, I knocked over a pint glass of water in my study. All over books. Some of them brand new books. And everything in me is wanting to go, No! I didn't! No! I wanted to shout! I want to. And everything in me is replaying that paragraph to me in my head going, you no longer live. Christ lives in you. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But it's what we've got to do. You've got to crucify that old self. Now, you, crucifixion wasn't a pretty thing. It involved effort on the part of the soldiers. It was a long lingering death. But, but it, it took work. It was, it was in a sense to do violence to someone. And Paul says we are to do violence to the flesh, to its desires. We're to stamp on it. We're to kick it as far away from us as we can. I no longer live. We can say that to ourselves when temptation arises. I don't live like that anymore. No. No. You know, sometimes actually saying no out loud reinforces it in our own minds and hearts. I shared with you the story before of Augustine and his mistress, uh, Augustine the Great, an uh, African preacher, before he became a Christian, uh, had a woman that he wasn't married to, that he lived with. And uh, whenever she heard of his conversion, she came calling, fluttering her eyelids and, and speaking alluringly. And Augustine, the new Christian, turned away from her. And she called to him seductively, It is I. And Augustine turned and said, but it is not I. It is not I. And that's it. That's it. I no longer live. And so it is with us. There's an old Mark. There's an old you. The one where I set the tone, where I responded the way I want to respond. And I need to say, I no longer live. I no longer live. Son of God does. And so there's, to say, there's a saying no to self. It's not about me anymore. That I no longer lives. Then the second thing, Christ 
lives in me. Christ lives in me. Now, if all we had was the first point, that would be depressing. What a long, dreary battle that would be, saying no to every wrong attitude that starts to rise up in us. What a wearisome thing that would be. The, if all there was was the duty of crucifying the old self, denying self, and continually dying to self. But that's only half the truth. And half a truth is a dangerous thing. Because there's another half here that's wonderful. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In me. Wow. That Son of God that we thought of this morning, in His splendor, His majesty, and His power, He lives in you. The new you is being made new in your thoughts. Why? Because Christ lives in you. You're being made new in your priorities because Christ lives in you. You're being made new in your words and your emotions and your actions because Christ lives in you. And we see this in many places in the Bible. John 14, verse 20, Jesus says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. The next chapter, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Wow. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're joined to him. His, as it were, life-giving sap flows through us and bears fruit. Tremendous. John 17, 26 I have made you known to them. He's speaking to his Father. I have made you, Father, known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. How does this happen? It happens through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is known as the Spirit of Christ and he comes and dwells in us. John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. In Ephesians 2, in verse 22, we're told that, that we become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. What a wonderful and exciting and encouraging truth. Um, and it means at least two things. It means a new power. A new power. We can feel powerless. We say, oh, I no longer live. Well, I've got to keep saying no. But there's a new power. Christ lives in me. Imagine being set a life or death task and you have to sculpt or paint a masterpiece uh, or you have to compose a, a, a piece of music, a symphony, and your life depends on it. And you can imagine the fear and the panic and the, the, the sense of inability. But imagine what artist or musician or sculptor you would be if the spirit of Leonardo da Vinci or Botticelli or the spirit of Bach or Beethoven or Mozart lived in you. Do you think I can do this? 
Mozart is with me. Da Vinci is in me. A new power. And this, living the Christian life is hard. Being a Christian young person is hard. It's hard whenever your friends at school or other people in your class want to do things that you know are wrong and it's hard to say no. Being a Christian wife and mother, being a Christian husband and father, being a Christian friend and son and daughter, being a Christian in the workplace, it's hard. This putting sin to death is hard. This crucifying the flesh is hard. And it's impossible on our own. And Jesus said, without him we can do nothing. But he says, I'm in you. I'm in you. You're not on your own. You know, we often think of how we put on Christ's righteousness. And we are clothed in his perfect obedience. We put on Christ. That's the Bible's language. But here we see that in a sense Christ puts on us. He puts on us. He comes and places himself as it were inside our lives by his Spirit. A new power for loving awkward people. A new power for living with joy and contentment amidst trials. A new power for saying no to self. A new power for having peace in the thick of storms. A new power for fighting temptation. A new power to help us to be patient. A new power to cope with uncertainty whenever anxiety wants to to crash in and we want to to lose sight of God and just curl up in a a bundle of self-pity. There's a new power that would uncurl us from that little ball of self-pity and fix our eyes heavenwards. In fact, a new power that wouldn't even make us look up, but would come and stand beside us and say into our ears, I love you, and I gave myself for you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. A new power at work in us. A new power that enables us to be kind, to return good for evil, that enables us to be patient with people, a new power that fills us with love, a new power that gives us gentleness and self-control, a new power. Christ is in me. And actually, you know, in that moment where I spilt that pint glass of water everywhere, it wasn't just the I no longer live bit, it was the, the bit saying, you know, you, I really had to apply my own sermon. I would have felt like the world's biggest hypocrite having written that paragraph and not putting it into practice. You know, you just can't do that. Um, that's when you feel really guilty. You know, you know, that's when you feel really hypocritical. And so in my head, I'm wrestling. I wanted to scream. And say, I didn't need this. <laughs> and it was the thought, you know, Christ lives in me. Come on, Mark. Settle yourself. Get the floor cloth and mop it up. Take the books and put them in the hot press and accept that's the way it was to be today. Christ lives in me. And he enables us even to do that. And much, much more, which are things that are far, far harder than that. A new power that enables us to be gentle, 
when we want to rise up, a new power that enables us to exercise self-control when we want to snap, uh, when we want to, to rant, do we want to shout at heaven or tear strips off earth? A new power that enables us to actually change. What an incredible truth. A new power. And there's also a new perspective. Christ lives in me. That gives us a new perspective. The one who loved me and gave himself for me is in me. If Jesus lived in our house, I think that would give me a completely new perspective, would it not? On where you would go and how you would speak to those around you and what we would look at, not just in terms of things that are obviously sinful, but in terms of the priorities we have, in terms of how earnestly we would give ourselves to his cause especially when we know that he's not sitting there with his arms folded, looking at us, judging us. He, he's standing there beside us to help us, to equip us. And he's saying, you know, can I help with this? Will I help with this? Will I help with this? You know, it, would, it, would, it would change, it would give us a new perspective. And we can ask ourselves in a much more real sense, is this what Jesus would have me do with this life that he has redeemed and that he now indwells. Is this what Jesus would have me do with this life that he has rescued and given to me? And I think this wonderful truth helps us. This truth of Christ indwelling us helps us with this, that not only in enabling us, but in remembering that he's with us to to keep us focused, to keep us focused and to maintain focus. And it also encourages us because we can ask ourselves, will people, will this help people see Christ in me? Isn't that what we want? That people would see Christ in us. And what a wonderful thing that as we seek to use Christ's power in us, to see things Christ's way and to live Christ's way, Christ says, I will be seen by people. We want them to see Jesus. And he says, I will enable them to see me. What encouragement there is. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then the third thing, I live by faith. I live by faith. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we live like this? How do we live in the body, in the world, and yet be more impacted by this unseen reality that I no longer live, that I've been crucified with Christ and been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, and Christ lives in me. I can't see any of those. I can't see them. I can see the world around me. I can see the news that gets me down. I can see the temptations that want to lure me away. I can hear the person who rings me on the phone and who wants me to do something that's wrong. I can, those things are all there. How do we live with holding on to the unseen whenever everything that is seen and can be heard is so much more obvious? Well, that's what faith is about. 
Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We live by faith. We live by faith. We hang on to the unseen. We believe the unseen. We trust the unseen. Faith, in a sense, is the connection between us and the energizing power of God the Son living in us by His Spirit. Faith is that connection between me and my life and that unseen, divine Holy Spirit living in me. So what does that mean? It means that we believe the things that we can't see. It means that we don't live by the flesh, by what our desires are, the things that we can see and taste and touch and feel, or by the fashion of the world around us, what they would have us do, what they are putting before us. We don't live by fear of the pressures that are squeezing in on us. Those are, are again, the things that we see. We don't live by our feelings either because none of them loved me and gave themselves for me, but the Son of God did. And instead, we put weight in these great unseen truths. We trust, we trust This is all ways of saying we trust. I've got four things to finish with here. And they're all ways of saying we trust him. We trust him. We believe him because only he is the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does it mean to to live by faith in the son of God? Let me give four main areas as we finish. Believe his work. Believe his work. His work. Sometimes guilt plagues us. The past comes back to haunt us. And we need to live by faith that that is forgiven. That that has been paid for. Sometimes the present seems more powerful. The the desires of the, the old me that are still present in the new me seems strong and we need to believe not simply Christ's work that the penalty of sin has been paid for but Christ's work that the power of sin has been broken that we don't have to give in to this and it seems as if we do have to but Christ says we don't and we're to count ourselves dead to sin and we say I'm going to believe Christ's work because the Son of God gave himself for me. He went to the cross for me so that I could be free from this. We're going to believe his work. And we're going to accept his promises. This is what it is to believe or to live by faith in the Son of God. We're going to accept his promises. If someone has faith in you, they take you at your word. And living by faith means taking Jesus at his word. Whenever doubts come in, we trust 
the Son's promises. His promises about the present, His promises about trials, His promises about His presence, His promises about the future, His promises about not leaving us or forsaking us, His promises about working all things for good, His promises that He who began a good work in us will see it through to completion, His promises that He'll be a God to us and to our children after us. Living by faith in the Son of God means that we believe His promises, even when everything else seems to be going contrary to them. The things that we see seem to be going contrary, but we hang on to His promises because He has this track record of keeping His promises. And which promise in particular do we see Him keeping? God promised back in Genesis 3.15 that He would send someone to crush the serpent and to set us free. And what happened? The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. He kept His promise. You know, sometimes Christians say things like, uh, well, I know the Bible promises that, but, you know, we have to be realistic. There is nothing more real than believing what the the architect of reality says. There is nothing more real than believing what the, the speaker of reality has spoken. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, we've got to be realistic. These circumstances mean that this promise, well, you know, it doesn't really apply. Nonsense. Nonsense. There is nothing more real than taking Christ at His word. We believe or we accept His promises. That's what it is to live by faith. The Son of God loved you and gave Himself for you. He's hardly likely to not keep His word to you. I love you and gave myself for you. Believe my promises, he says. Thirdly, trust His providence. Trust His providence. Life throws at us all sorts of trials. From the unexpected hiccups of spilling a glass of water all over the place to things that are genuine catastrophes. But the Son of God loved you and gave Himself for you. And if He has done that, is it likely that He has taken His eye off the ball? Is it likely that He is taking you on a hard route just for the fun of it? It's not likely. He came from heaven to earth to hell for us. He went on the hard route so that we could have the best route. The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. He has from eternity had your best interests at heart. You can trust His providences. The life I live in the body, amidst these strange providences, the, the unexpected accidents uh, that are small fry, but frustrating to the big catastrophes. I can live by faith in this moment because whatever else I don't know, I know that the Son of God loves me and gave Himself for me. And I will trust Him in the life I'm living in this body, in this place, whatever's going on around me that I don't quite know why it's happening. 
I will live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Trust his providences. This is what it means to say I live by faith in the Son of God. And fourthly, maintain his priorities. Maintain his priorities. You see, all the things that we say, all the things that we see and all the things that we hear say to us that we have the wrong priorities. That we really should make this our priority and we should make um, riches our priority, that we should make reputation our priority, that we should make success our priority. And the life that we live by faith in the body is one that looks like we have made His priorities our priority. The Son of God loved us and went to the cross for us because holiness matters. Because righteousness matters. We read, I think it was from Romans 6, that, that spoke of that we have, been, we have been made slaves to righteousness. We're no longer slaves to sin. And that the emphasis isn't on, on the, the being slaves. The, the emphasis is on the beauty of what we have been called to. Called to holiness and called to righteousness. And these are Christ's priorities. Priorities that were so important that the Son of God loved us and gave himself for us. And so we want to maintain his priorities in a world that says, follow your own goals, follow your own desires. And when we live by faith, we maintain the priorities of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So here is our Great calling. Our great calling is to say that old me, the old Mark, no longer lives. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is our great calling. What a, an astonishing thing that the Son of God lives in us. Will we believe it? And will we seek to live like it's true? Amen. If you're able, let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, There were old us's, old versions of us that were ugly and deformed and marred. And we thank you that something has happened to them and that the old us is no longer there, but that there is a new us that you are shaping and making and molding and we thank you that the penalty of sin has been taken away and the power of sin has been broken and that there is a new power at work in us and what a wonderful truth Lord that not only do we have the privilege of putting on Christ 
and being clothed in his righteousness. But this incredible truth that Christ, as it were, puts on us and that we have him indwelling us by his Spirit, enabling us to live for him. And as we were thinking the other evening, as it were, the Holy Spirit reprogramming us so that we live lives of righteousness. What a wonderful truth. And Lord, help us then to believe these things and to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, help us to, uh, to believe his work for us. Help us to accept his promises to us. Help us, Lord God, to um, maintain his priorities for us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust his providences in our lives so that we are living by faith in this amazing being who loved us, who are utterly unamazing, and gave himself for us. Lord, what Christ has done is far beyond anything we could ever have dreamt or imagined or thought up in any way. It's far better. So Lord, help us to live like it so that others can see it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.